We are going to think today about um, some of the points that Steve made in a talk that he did a few weeks ago about the church as the body of Christ. Uh, we thought then about some of the biblical ideas around what this means, and today we're going to revisit some of those, but we're also going to contextualize those into what it means for us in Aylesbury Vineyard. And of course, when we talk about the church as the body of Christ, I just want to explain a little bit about what we mean by that, because we don't just mean Aylesbury Vineyard Church. Um, when Paul's talking about the church in the Bible, he's talking about the universal church, you know, the whole collection of people who've identified with Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection and who live with him as their Lord. And in um, the way we've, the church has been in the world, it's only since the 16th century that it hasn't been under one authority of the Pope. Um, since then, there have been many, many denominations, Protestant denominations and Catholic denominations, um, with different leadership structures, uh, different emphases, theological emphases, different ways of expressing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And all of these different groups make up the church to get, uh, as well. Um, and also, it is worth noting that the church hasn't always, and isn't always, um, what it should be. And if you think about um, the idea of power, sometimes the church has had amazing power wherever it's been, and we all know that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this has been true uh, for the church as well as for other powerful institutions in the world, and we all know stories where people have been massively let down and um, it has misrepresented Jesus terribly. So we need to take that on board as well. Because, of course, Jesus never abused his power. He was never violent. He knew that he represented God the Father and he was very strong in that representation. He wasn't afraid to challenge people, but he always treated people with respect and dignity. And Jesus, of course, is our example. Um, when he was talking to his disciples one day, when they'd been learning how to take the kingdom into different villages and talk to people about God and his goodness, um, there were villages where the disciples weren't received very well, and they turned to Jesus and said, so... Um, Jesus, do you think we should call down the fire and brimstone on these villages? Because I suppose in their mind they were thinking back to the Old Testament story of Sodom and Gomorrah where God um, had to destroy that city because of the all sorts of reasons that we won't go into today. Uh, but Jesus' response to them wasn't, yes, of course, but it was, no, actually, what you need to do is just brush the dust off your feet and that's very different, isn't it, than responding violently or even responding angrily, but to actually just brush the dust off your feet. So bearing all those things in mind, as the church is, as a church, Vineyard Church in Aylesbury, we're part of other churches in the body of Christ in Aylesbury and in the wider world and we um, acknowledge that we're just a tiny part of the body of Christ. 
But we're going to think today about what it looks like in our congregation to be the body of Christ, and we're going to think particularly in two areas, and those are pastoral care and discipleship. So we're going to think about those two things. Firstly, discipleship. We're here uh, because we've either been invited by Jesus to be a follower, or we will be in the future, because that's what we're all about here. We're all about wanting to know Jesus and make him known, and to be a follower and to learn what it means to live our lives for Jesus. When Jesus started his three-year ministry, when he was about 30 years old, he went around teaching and preaching and healing people, and immediately he started gathering disciples who could do it with him. So he wanted co-workers with him. And he chose 12 people who were men. Uh, Seven of those 12 were probably fishermen. Uh, There was a, a tax collector called Matthew. There were some zealots who were religious leaders. And then there were some traders as well. But as well as the 12 disciples, there were lots of women disciples of Jesus as well who followed him and supported him. And also, there were lots of other disciples on top of that that we don't know their names. We do know that at one point, Jesus sent 72 people out on a ministry trip. So we know that there were lots of people who were followers of Jesus all the time. Um, And whoever they were in that group, Jesus expected the same devotion. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So that was the invitation that he gave to people. It wasn't an easy invitation. It wasn't for the faint-hearted. It was a challenge to put the cause of following him even before their, their very lives. And he also said to people, uh, using the language of the fisherman, he said, um, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's in Matthew four nineteen. When Jesus said that, we know that he wasn't talking about eating people or, um, <laughs> or using people in a bad way. Um, it does sound weird to us because we're not in that industry and it's, we're not in that context. Um, but in some way, Jesus meant that by being a follower and being a disciple and going around with him in his ministry, these people would be helping other people. They would be rescuing them from a, a, a bad place into a good place. They'd be part of that salvation that God was bringing to humanity. So becoming part of the body of Christ today includes this call to us to be disciples. It means taking up some kind of apprenticeship where we're continually learning how to take this message out into the places where we go, into our places of influence, which might be our families or our workplaces or it might be um, amongst our friends and neighbours. But the thing about it is that we need to learn how to be invitational like Jesus was. So when Jesus was showing his disciples how to go out with his message, 
he was teaching them how to invite people into the kingdom of God. And as well as that, as well as that angle of discipleship, he also said to his disciples that they needed to be able to care for people like a shepherd would care for sheep. Um, There's a great story of when Jesus meets with Peter on the shore of the lake after he'd risen from the dead and he came back and he had a meal with Peter and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. So there he is telling Peter, you need to be like a shepherd now to the people that I'm going to give you. And it's interesting, isn't it, with Peter, because he's a great example of a leader who learnt to be a good leader by getting things wrong. Three times then Jesus asked him, do you love me? And it must have reminded Peter that when he was at the Last Supper, Jesus turned to him and said, actually, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that was a very shameful time in Peter's life. And there are lots of other stories as well about Peter um, being a disciple and learning how to be a good disciple, but getting it really quite badly wrong. We also know that he learned to be a good leader and he became a great apostle in the church where he was able to look after people and he was able to preach the gospel and give a great invitation to people as well to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul also speaks to the leaders of a church in Ephesus and he says to them, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So there is a sense where as leaders, we see part of this responsibility as being really, really important. Uh, This idea of watching over our flock um, and being shepherds of the church. And this includes things like the teaching on a Sunday morning. Um, We're very intentional about asking God, Lord, what are you wanting to say to the church? What message should we be looking at together? What part of your word should we be learning about together? And also, uh, we want to be encouraging each other in the way that we hear God's voice in our own lives, um, individually, you know, about directions, what, what kind of job should we be having, what kind of, what, where should we be living, who should we be spending time with. We want to be hearing God's voice. And we believe very much that the gospel isn't just about being right with God, but it's about being right with one another, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where the whole body of Christ comes in, which we're going to be looking at a bit more. Um, Jesus said that the whole law is summed up in the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So going back to the talk that Steve gave, he looked at some metaphors that represent the church, and we're going to look at just a few of those quickly. Firstly, the church is a family, and the thing about a family is that you don't pretend to be anything in a family, do you? Everyone just kind of is who they are. 
They are real, they argue with one another when they disagree, they learn to have to love and forgive one another, accept each other as they are, and that's what we want to be able to do here um, with each other. But also we're an extended family, so we don't um, exclude people. Uh, Steve is very, very hot on the fact that even with our jokes, we shouldn't exclude people. So we've broken that rule today because we've gone on and on and on about our joke earlier in the week, which was an April Fool that only went to people on the email base. So sorry if you feel like an outsider on that joke. But our idea is that everybody who comes should feel welcome and they shouldn't feel that there's like a, a clique family in here that you can't belong to because everybody can belong. And then also the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ and there's all the ideas behind that, aren't there, about being faithful and knowing how to love each other and the fact that we're intending to stay faithful to Jesus until his return. And then also we are a priesthood, people who know how to minister to God. We've spent the first part of this service Worshipping Jesus and loving his presence. And as we did that, we are all priests to God. But we're also priests to one another. Um, and it's not just us as pastors or as a leadership team that um, we minister God to each other, uh, to, to you or, or to all of us here. But we actually all minister to one another because we are all priests before God. We believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. And then the Bible says that we are like a building. And that building is like a temple where individually and collectively the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And we represent God wherever we go. So when people come in, we represent, we, we want to be people who hold the presence of God and know how to um, enjoy his presence more than anything else. So, let's think about the context of these metaphors and where we work them out. Um, and First and foremost, I'm just going to go through a list, really, of, of those, and then I'm going to ask Andy and Valerie to come and talk about connect groups and how they are so important in our pastoral care and discipleship, and also um, Sheridan is going to come and talk about our prayer ministry and how that's really important in our pastoral care and our discipleship as well. So the context of where we work out being the body of Christ together, Sunday mornings, here we are. This is probably the place where most of us will gather all together, and we love having the, the, the presence of God here in a special way. And we can't capture that in smaller groups, but we capture other things in smaller groups. Um, then we have connect groups, which are our weekly meetings um, happening in different locations. We have Sunday evening meetings that uh, we don't always do, but we have... Um, different types of Sunday evening meetings uh, at various times. We have Alpha, 
And Alpha is a place where we can either be involved with someone on a journey to coming to know Jesus, or we can be learning um, the key theology of the Christian faith, which is good for all of us to know. Um, And so that's something where we can learn to give out and we can learn to take. And often our situations are like that, aren't there? Something that we encourage is prayer triplets. And I know a lot of people have said to me that over the years, it's often been uh, people who they pray regularly with that they end up sharing the deepest part of their lives with and getting the most help from. So please do consider that if that's something that you haven't thought about before. That's something that we might be doing training for at some point, maybe on a Saturday. So watch this space for that. And then obviously we have all sorts of other um, informal events, social events, which are all really important as well. And it includes the whole church. Whatever you are, situation you're in, whoever you are, all of these things include the whole church. So I'd love to invite Andy and Valerie up to say a few things about the Connect groups. Hello. Andy and I um, are assistant pastors here at Aylesbury Vineyard, and one of our responsibilities is to oversee uh, connect groups. So what are connect groups? They're small groups that meet um, over a term. Usually they're weekly. Sometimes they're every other week. They meet in people's homes. Some of them meet here. We've had groups meeting in cafes, pubs, and in the great outdoors. There are three main focuses. There's an activity focus. So we've had groups such as cycling, football, keep fit, sewing, writing, um, a book group. And then there are groups that are more course focused. So for example, Alpha and the Vineyard Values course. And then we have groups that are more like small church. So typically we have... um, ministry or we have we start with worship we have a sharing um, component and then there's always prayer at the end recently um, Steve spoke on the theology of the body and Lynn's talking about it again this morning Um, and one of the illustrations was of um, us as bricks in the wall of the church and each brick or each person usually um, touched the lives of uh, six people around them and then 12 people around them. And that's such a good analogy for a connect group because they're usually six to 12 people who touch the lives of those people in their group and then they touch the lives of other groups in the clusters around them. So it's a really great visual of how connect groups um, connect us with other people. So we're coming to the end of this term. Um, The next term starts in mid-May. So I would encourage you to think about where you sit in this picture of bricks in the wall, um, either as a leader or as another brick within that connect group. If you're interested in leading a group, there's training and there's support um, from cluster leaders. So come and talk to Andy and I. We'd love to tell you more about that. And finally, just to paraphrase Ephesians 4 verses 15 and 16... Each of us does our own special work. We help the others. We help them grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. We all have a part to play. In essence, those two sentences make up um, our vision for connect groups within the church. 
So think about whether you see yourself as a leader in a group or just one of the members that sits around that leader and connects with each other. Andy. Just very quickly, how this looks in practice. Valerie and I have been involved in loads of groups over the years. And um, as Valerie said, there's lots of different formats of groups. But the main and the plain, as we like to say in the vineyard, is the connect group, the home group, which is really small church. So typically there's um, a social element to it. We all want to socialize with people. We all want to get to know people. And this is the context for how we kind of break down a, a growing church into smaller groups so we can really get to know people, typically within your locality. Um, the, um, the first thing we always want to do is worship. It's difficult to replicate a fantastic worship experience such as we've had here this morning in your front room. Um, but there are things you can do. Um, you can have a person with a guitar. You can have a CD. You can have a DVD. You can have Spotify. There's all sorts of ways to do it. The important point is that as we draw near to God, he draw, draws near to us. Has anybody else noticed that? It happens every time. We draw near to God. He draws near to us. Um, and that's really the springboard into what is then a, a discussion of some sort. I'm looking at the Word. These aren't really necessarily Bible studies, but we're not making this stuff up. We need the Bible as our reference to what we're doing in our lives and to use that as a template for what's going well and what's not going so well. Um, some people might uh, come with questions. Questions are great, except when you feel like you've got to answer them all. And it's really important if you're thinking, oh, I'd love to run a group, but I don't know all the answers. Join the club. Nobody's got all the answers. Some questions are literally unanswerable. You know, we're not looking for answers. We're looking to Jesus to show us how we should live our lives. And um, so never be afraid of, of questions that you can't answer. Um, and quite often, as we gather together, there's that lovely verse in the Bible, iron sharpens iron. And we find a solution, or at least something that is a workaround, just by discussing it together and relating it back to the Scripture. Um, we've seen that so many times in our groups. And the final thing, and always the most important thing, as we'll do today, is that as a result of that discussion, we then pray. It may be that there are some issues that don't have a resolution. And the only thing we can do is pray. Say, God, show us what to do here. We don't know what to do. Can you help this person? They've got this chronic illness. And we've seen miracles, gradual miracles, some more impactful, just by praying for people about their situations. And they are. Those situations are turned on their heads. So, again, echoing Valerie's encouragement, think about a group, uh, engage with a group. If you want to know what kind of thing's coming up next term, look at the, uh, the current book, but it's going to be even more exciting than that. And if you've got an idea for a group, even if it sounds a little bit wacky, we'd love to hear it. Sheridan. Thanks. Go in the middle. Hi, morning. I'm going to talk about... Uh, the prayer ministry um, that Lynn has mentioned already. So um, I just want to refer back to uh, John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 66. And it tells us that there were many of Jesus' disciples who turned away from Jesus. 
and they stopped following him because they found his teaching too difficult. And at this point, Jesus asked his 12 close disciples that Lynn was speaking about, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter, again, the one who makes all the mistakes, actually got it right this time and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hold that thought. In John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And in John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And that's the premise, I think, under which we come and pray with people. That um, we, you know, Jesus, who else do we go to? Who else is there who has the words of eternal life? And we have an advocate. We have the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, um, to be with us as we pray. And I think however able we may feel, however capable, however confident, there's often a limit to the resources we have within ourselves to deal with the stuff of life, and we all have stuff. So part of the pastoral care that's available to us within the church here is encouraging each other to receive prayer and engage with that Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to avail ourselves of what is an ultimate and unfailing resource, and we have that available through Jesus. So there are always those to support you in prayer in the prayer space at the end of each Sunday service. I think sometimes the stuff of life we've just talked about gets complicated. It gets confusing. It's distressing often um, and often seems beyond our own resources to deal with it. And it needs more time often to explore with the Holy Spirit um, than is available for the few minutes that we have at the end of a service. So there is a small team of us who are happy to arrange an appointment for prayer, and that can be done uh, through the office, um, leaving your number, we'll contact you, um, so that there's a less pressured atmosphere in which to engage with the Holy Spirit. That team at the moment consists of Lisa and Peter Smith, Chris and Ruth Hudson, Luke and Rachel Martin, and myself. And between us all, we can be fairly flexible um, as to appointment times, and uh, we maintain the vineyard practice of praying with people, so woman to woman, man to man, couple to couple. We will meet wherever's convenient. Sometimes we go to people's homes, sometimes we meet here, sometimes we use one of our own homes. So we try to be as flexible as possible and with timings. Uh, confidentiality is assured say that absolutely and we pray on the understanding that God loves us immeasurably he's interested in every aspect of our lives every single one and he is our redeemer and in that capacity he can rescue situations he can turn things around he can heal us physically and emotionally and he can fill us with his enabling grace to cope with the things of life. Romans 8, verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works, dot, 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 
for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we can rest assured when we come and pray and meet together and ask the Holy Spirit to be here, in all of that, God is doing something because God never does nothing. So no one praying for you on a Sunday or if we meet together um, for an individual appointment for prayer, not one of those people is the answer to your prayers. Let's say that right now. We can't fix it. But we are able to seek the intervention of the Holy Spirit together and look forward to what he will do. And he has done some amazing things. And sometimes it's straight away and sometimes it isn't. But we go back to our first thought. Lord, to whom else shall we go? Because he has the words of eternal life. Thanks. Thank you. That's wonderful. So that's kind of what we have to offer. Um, and the great thing is that, as Sheridan said, we have such a great God. Um, we do have challenges in all of this, and sometimes people are disappointed with the pastoral care or the um, availability of people to help in different situations. And I think one of the challenges we have is that uh, we perhaps might come with expectations um, that are unrealistic of a church. So, for example... We are, most of us are not trained counsellors, although there may be some people who we could find to help that are, but that's not something we can naturally offer. Um, we're not trained mentors, we're not GPs, um, we're not always open, you know, sometimes uh, we sleep, <laughs> sometimes we have time off, um, but there is usually somebody available if, if it's needed. Um, but we have limitations, and I think that's what we need to remember as well. We're also volunteers and we're learning together we're on a journey of discipleship together uh, many people have disappointments because of things that have happened in the past uh, maybe things that they've hoped for that their hopes have been dashed um, people obviously have really really difficult situations and we want to be able to be in a position to be a positive place that people come uh, so we might find that we signpost people to outside agencies or to qualified specialists, and we will always try and do that if it's something that we can't deal with. Uh, but we will always try and have unconditional love for people, and we will always believe in each other. Uh, I think one of the most amazing things about God is not that he just gives us hope but that he actually hopes in us as well he actually believes in us as well and we need to believe in each other um, quite interesting as well when we are in quite this intimate situation of being ministers to each other we have to learn how to test the spirits as well because sometimes we might get things wrong for each other and it's important that if someone said something to you about what they feel God thinks is right for your life and it doesn't resonate with your spirit then please do share it with others because God will always confirm his word numerous times and there will be a consensus of people that agree with that so that is something that we do need to consider as well as we draw to a close uh, we're going to have the musicians come back and I'd like us just to look at that wall again with the bricks 
and for us to just ask God the question, should I be shifting something in my life to make sure that those bricks around me are actually helping me in my quest to be a good disciple of Jesus? Or maybe I need to be able to put myself in a situation where I can be in to be able to receive more pastoral care. Maybe I need to make it known that I need it um, because we need to take responsibility for our own discipleship and pastoral care before we can expect other people to help us if we don't say we, we, other people won't know that we need it.